Well, good morning. Thanks for sharing with us this morning. As a granddad, at Christmas time, I enjoy watching the, the real little ones open their, their gifts. Often I notice that the, the real little ones seem to appreciate so much more the wrapping, the paper on the outside or even the cardboard box, rather than the gift that's inside. They're happy to play for hours with the wrapping rather than the gift inside. Following on from last week, in the first three verses of chapter 1, where the author of Hebrews, the author describes eight aspects to the wonder and the superiority of Jesus. We looked at that last week. The author now unfolds how Jesus is also so much more, so much better, so much more superior than even the angels. And it's a constant theme throughout the book of Hebrews that Jesus is better by far. He keeps mentioning that throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus is better by far. And the the author is seeking to shift their focus off the wrapping onto Christ, off Judaism onto a relationship with Jesus. And this must have been a really difficult time to live in for those who had been brought up in Judaism. It required a a total paradigm shift, a, a total change in one's thinking. It meant a different way of looking at things in terms of their understanding of all that they had understood before, all that they had believed before, their understanding of the Old Testament, they had to now see it in the light of Christ. How God had led them in the past, how God had revealed himself to them in the Old Testament was all pointing to Jesus to come to a fresh realisation that all that had gone on before was just a, a reflection of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. All that they had understood before was the wrapping. The gift was Jesus Christ. All that they understood before was a shadow of Jesus' presence and person. Something like this. Jesus is at the centre of history. He's at the centre of everything. Judaism leading up to him and the church now as a, a reflection of him, both pointing to him. The light of the world came in the person of Jesus and history before and after must be seen in his shadow or to be seen in his light. This is why we shouldn't discount the Old Testament. I'd encourage you to read more than just the New Testament. Don't just read the New Testament. Get back into and read the Old Testament as well. The New Testament is concealed in the Old Testament and the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. And we see that in the the book of Hebrews. Frequently the author quotes the Old Testament as he sees the Old Testament pointing to Jesus. 
And remember at the time of this writing, the New Testament hasn't been compiled yet, but the author of Hebrews most definitely sees the Old Testament as Christ-centred. As did Jesus. You remember as he walked on the road to Emmaus with the two despondent believers and he took time to, be, to begin with Moses and then he walked them through their understanding of the Old Testament all the way through pointing to the coming Messiah, to him. And so from the close of last week, the last verse of last week, after he had provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. We pick it up now from verse 4. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. So he became as much superior to the angels, and the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Although his name is not mentioned in this verse, it is inferred because it is not a name that he has been given, but a name that he has inherited. Now you and I are given names, and the angels too. Some of the angels we know of their names. Michael, whose name means who is like God, is a mighty angel. But Jesus is so much more than a mighty angel. He's so much more than mighty. He is the almighty, sustaining and maintaining all things by the power of his word, as we were thinking last week. And there's Gabriel, whose name means God is great, and he acts as a messenger for God. But Jesus is so much more than a messenger. He is, in fact, the message. And there was Lucifer, the name of Satan, before he fell. His name means morning star. He was created as God's most majestic angel prior to his fall from heaven. Jesus is so much more than a morning star, a shining star. He is the sun, the light of God, the light of the world. And we may not normally think of sun as a name. But this is what we see right throughout the New Testament. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of David, and on many occasions, Son with a capital S. He's the Son. It's the name that is inherited because he is indeed the Son of God. A fact that the author continues to hammer home, in fact, 13 times throughout the book of Hebrews, the Son. The Son of God. The author then quotes again from the Old Testament. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Now, as the Jews look back over their history, as they understood God and the way he had revealed himself to them through the Old Testament days, 
God had sent his angels to reveal his will. The angels and the prophets were held in high esteem as God's special agents, special messengers. Evidently, there was a growing perception that Jesus, too, was an angel. Perhaps because Jesus was accused of blasphemy, others didn't want to be accused of agreeing with his claims. And so they saw him as an angel rather than the son of God. But there was also a number of stories that were now circulating about God's present work through his angels in these very days of, the, of writing. The angels had been sent to release prisoners. They'd been sent to encourage believers, to help travellers. They'd come to assist Peter and John, Cornelius, Philip and Paul. Read the book of Acts and you'll see a number of occasions where angels were sent by God to assist. And verse 14 says that the angels, good angels as opposed to fallen angels, demons, are sent to serve the angels are sent to serve those of us who are to obtain eternal salvation. And of course, many Christians are unaware of angels, but do believe in them. We believe in angels, that they exist. And we assume that there have been times, and perhaps for some of us more realistically than others, we assume that we've come under their protection. Sometimes angels go unseen, but other times they may appear in human form. The author points, is, is pointing out, he's at pains to point out that Jesus was no angel, he was the son of God. He was the pinnacle of all God's creative and redemptive work. And in fact, the angels ministered to him whilst he was on this earth when he was being tempted in the wilderness, the angels. And when he was in the garden, the angels came to him to strengthen him. The angels are called to worship him, and they did so upon his birth. It was the angels' task to exalt the sun. Let all God's angels worship him. He is obviously far superior then, and worship was required from them he was worthy to be praised do you yourself do you yourself see that that is your task as well do we see ourselves in the same light as as that of of the task of the angels our purpose as christians is to always exalt the sun always exalt the sun that's our purpose That's what we're we're meant to do. That's what we're here to do, to worship him in all that we do, to seek to point others to him, to exalt him. Or do we get sidetracked into many and various other pursuits that become more important to us? It's your task and mine to exalt the Son, to live in such a way that we are exalting the Son. We're pointing others to the Son. The author then goes on to show that the angels know their place as servants. Again, quoting from the the Old Testament, verse 7. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes angels 
Sorry, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. And so the works of the angels are temporary and they're directed by God for a specific time and purpose. But the author goes on to declare that the work of the Son, however, is eternal. The work of Jesus Christ is eternal and that he is sovereign. Verses 8 and 9. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. This is language of royalty. The language of royalty. He's, he's not only the prophet who speaks, he's not only the priest who saves, as we were thinking last week, but the king who rules. And he has an eternal throne, a royal scepter, a universal kingdom. And the coronation oil, anointing oil, is the oil of joy. That's denoting God's surpassing delight in the completed work of his son. You recall God's words. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Is Jesus the king of your life? Is he really the king of of your life. He may well be your saviour, but is he your king? That is, is he your boss? Is he the one that you always seek to listen to and obey? So when you know that your response has not been according to the fruit of the Spirit, do you apologise and ask for forgiveness? Because he's the boss. He's the king. Is he your king who calls you into humility and reconciliation with brothers and sisters? What about when you're tempted? Do you give in? Is he really the king? When you catch yourself thinking about revenge or thoughts that you're ready to spread rumours or gossip, is he the king? Thoughts that seem to stem from your rights and entitlements rather than your responsibilities and obligations, is he the king? Is Jesus the king or do you shift him off the throne for a while and you're the boss because he is the king he is indeed the king because he is sovereign over all unlike an earthly dictator he is benevolent and compassionate and generous, and he desires the best for us. He allows us a free will to choose our own way and to choose the degree to which we want to obey. 
We have a free will, but he is good, he is wise, he is a loving king who always looks out for the best interests of his subjects, those who love him. A king that we would want to love and serve. But as Christians, I think there are times that we become more interested in the wrapping than in the gift itself. And what I mean by that is that we, at times as Christians, we shift our focus off Christ, the gift, onto the church. And we want and we expect the church to fulfil our wants and desires. And in fact, we demand a lot from the church and from others. We're quick to point out where the church has failed us where others have let us down or have hurt us. And what we've actually done is we've focused back on the wrapping, on the church, rather than the gift on Christ. We're playing with the wrapping and we're not giving Jesus our full and our undivided attention. So once again, the writer returns to emphasise that Christ Jesus, the Son of God, was not part of the created order, the angels are, and therefore they must be submissive to their creator. But for those who have grown up in Judaism and their, their worship of angels was being challenged. Let us not worship angels, let us worship Christ. Angels are to be submissive to their creator. Not all angels are good. Those who have fallen, those who have chosen to go the way of Satan are called demons. But again, all angels, whether good or bad, can only operate within the bounds that God allows them to operate. So he is sovereign. Jesus, on the other hand, is God's son. He is God's creative agent. He is sovereign over all. Verse 10, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You'll roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They'll be changed, but you remain the same and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? When the earth will be no more, Jesus will still be the same. They will all perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment The classic verse that describes the unchanging Christ is also found in Hebrews, a verse you know well, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He is the same forever. Jesus is the unchanging, the eternal Lord to whom God has said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And the picture here is that of a king who has won a battle over his enemy and this king has his foot 
placed over the throat or the neck of his opponent. The day will come when Christ will have all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed will be that of death. There will be no more death. No more dying. And so since God has given his son the name that is above every other name, how should we respond to him? In humility and worship. Jesus, our example, did just that. He humbled himself before his father and he worshipped him every moment that he walked this earth. Paul wrote, He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul goes on to say, Therefore, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. With fear and trembling. He's the king. with fear and trembling, in humility, in reverence, with respect, in awe and devotion, in fear and trembling. Continue to work out. That is, continue to express or make known to others, to work it out. To be obedient in following the Lord's example, looking for his guidance, to work it out. Allowing him to direct the changes within that transform us and then work it out with fear and trembling because he's the king. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? Is he your king? And are you living your life in the light of that confession, your confession? Yes, he's my saviour. Is he my king? Are you living your life to the glory of God? Is Jesus Christ the centre of your focus? Or are you playing with the wrapping? Are you too busy looking at the church and disappointed with the church? Disappointed with the wrapping? then bring your focus back to Christ. He will never disappoint. Praise God. Let's seek to live our lives to bring honour and glory to him, keeping Jesus our focus. Amen? Amen.